You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Should doctors ever lie, betray a confidence, or bend the law? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams. Dr. Abrams specialized in obstetrics and gynecology for over 40 years. He is the former chair of the Ethics Committee of the American College of Obstetricians, served on numerous ethics committees, has taught biomedical ethics, and is the author of the book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? Dr. Abrams, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Susan. The last line in one of the stories in your book reads, I did not report the crime. What happened in this story titled Family? The way it came to me was a fairly panicky, hysterical phone call in the early hours of my office having just opened by a patient who I knew and who was not prone to be panicky. And she was extremely tearful. I invited her over to the office immediately, and she related the following story to me. She and her husband, who had lived in a mountain community where he was a manager of a bunch of condos, had come down to Denver to do some shopping, and as is their wont, they stayed at his parents' house. The beginning of the story then describes his background, her husband's background, from a very domineering and often intoxicated father, a very verbally battered mother by an unfeeling kind of a husband, his father, and the fact that he really was alienated from his father very significantly for a number of reasons, not the least of which is he chose not to go into the family business because he didn't wish to be associated with his father and the kind of life that he led in his society, whereas this was more of an outdoorsman, met his wife in a mountain club, hiking club, and did not care for the same kind of social circles his father did. They were thoroughly alienated, having been very argumentative in the past with bad words about the fact that he lived off his father's money when he went to school and such really bad feeling. Anyway, very reluctantly, they stayed with the family when they came in, partly for their mother's sake and partly because the girl in this story, the the younger person in this story, the one who came to my office, she had good relations with her own family and liked family to be together and was trying to promote better feelings and visited them much more often, made all the social arrangements and so forth. Well, that had to be the background because what this girl described is they were down visiting when in the middle of the night her husband got a phone call and he had to go back to the condo to cover an emergency pipe break. And she was left in the house asleep in her husband's old room, and she awoke in the middle of the night, not knowing if she were dreaming or if what was happening was really happening, because essentially what had happened is her father-in-law, totally drunk, had come in while she was asleep and essentially raped her and left the room before she hardly had a chance to scream or raise a fuss or anything. And she had come to my office not knowing what to do, except that She had also deliberately stopped 
contraception because they were trying to get pregnant. And she was afraid of a number of things, not only the rape, but that she might be impregnated. So the first thing we had to do after we calmed her down a little bit was talk about emergency contraception, making sure that didn't happen. And then we started to talk about getting the forensic evidence to demonstrate the crime, at which point she absolutely refused and said, you you can't report this and I won't cooperate with you for this material. And I said, why? Why don't you want this beastly person prosecuted? And she said, because my husband would in all likelihood kill him. Well, we contemplated this terrible situation. And although it is incumbent upon doctors to report a crime, I decided against it in this case. And my rationale was certainly consideration of her comment, because it was not hard to believe knowing the relationship that had existed. But in addition to that, it was very unlikely that this man was a rapist in the sense of going out into society and snagging people off the streets. He was the kind of person who I believed would take advantage of this situation, which was a unique situation, an unprotected woman sleeping unclothed in his house felt that he was not really a threat to society in that particular fashion, and therefore it was not an injustice to society by not reporting the crime, and certainly was going along with what the patient's fears were, and which I had every reason to believe probably was so. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Frederick Abrams, discussing his book, Doctors on the Edge, Will Your Doctors Break the Rules for You? Dr. Abrams, how do you respond to doctors who say, if I don't report the crime, I risk losing my medical license, my livelihood? Well, I think this is a hazard, and people can decide either either way. I uh, had to do some weighing and balancing. I also said that if this girl is going to make this accusation and there is no forensic evidence that in this circumstance we couldn't prove the crime, it would be a he said, she said, or it would even be a he said, she denies, and it would have been fruitless. It wasn't too difficult to make that decision in that aspect. Oftentimes, the accuser gets into deeper trouble than the actual criminal in the case under those circumstances. But in general, I think it's important for social reasons to report. As I said, law says yes or no. It says report all crimes. Well, there are sometimes crimes, maybe it not be to society's benefit or anybody's benefit to report them under certain circumstances. Looking back, would you do anything differently? No, not on this case at all. And if a doctor came to you today with a similar story, what would you say? I would say you use good judgment. It's one of those sometimeses that we have to get into. And in the heat of the moment, how does a practitioner engage in reflective ethical decision-making versus knee-jerk reactive moral judgments under pressure? I think you do that by having studied ethics and many, many cases. 
so that you almost don't find them as a totally new and strange situation. You have encountered them virtually in the whole gamut of cases. There are hundreds and hundreds of case reports of ethical dilemmas that can be found in most of the ethical literature. There are several books that speak about ethics cases, and they are just case reports. And so by doing some advanced reading, on material. That, I believe, is the best way to prepare for these circumstances that pop up suddenly. You've actually contemplated something very similar. And what was the status of the curriculum in terms of ethics education when you went to school? We didn't have any. And how has that changed? Well, now, for example, in the University of Colorado, they have mandatory course and the nice part about it is that doctor, medical students, nursing students, pharmacy students, dentistry students, and physiotherapy students all take the same course together. That keeps everybody honest in the sense that none of these departments can use the jargon that we all use when we're speaking among ourselves. Everybody has to speak plain English, and they, they learn to criticize each other. When a physician says, this is what I do, a uh, physiotherapist might have a whole different opinion. You're more likely to get how the public will react to each of these kinds of specialties when there is a cross-section because of lack of being on the in-group. And when should an ethics committee be called upon? An ethics committee which exists now in most hospitals, should be called upon whenever there's a question about the treatment in a serious illness, certainly end of life, certainly decisions that have to be made about severely disabled newborns. Whenever somebody feels that in these kinds of decisions, unnecessary either life curtailing or life prolonging treatment is being given. And certainly to clarify these decisions between the members of the staff, the member from doctor to doctor, and certainly from nurse to doctor when there's a question. A lot of these arise in the intensive care unit and people question whether they should be going this far or whether they're not going far enough. And when these issues are raised, an ethics committee can often be a central forum to try to explain the situation and have clarification between all the members. And when you advise ethics committees, what do you tell them? What's the best way to approach these dilemmas? We actually have a sort of a protocol. We, we get everybody together, including the family, and we ask physician to explain the medical situation. Then after that, we ask everybody there if they are in agreement that that's the situation or if there are any questions about it or if they understand it. Oftentimes, the situation is a misunderstanding of what the situation actually is. And the dispute or argument or issue that's being resolved or debated can be clarified by simply everybody starting at the same place. After that, when everybody is in the same place, then basically we ask whoever brought the meeting what, what was their issue. Then we simply have a forum after that, including all the people who are involved in the therapy, 
Families are usually part of this kind of a meeting, and the members of the ethics committees also ought to be a resource in terms of what hospital policy is and state law and all of the hard facts that you can bring in. Then we try to reach a resolution, but it's not a matter of making a decision. It's a matter of facilitating the people involved to make their decision based on the discussion and the information that's been exchanged. In other words, it's not a decision-making body. It's a body for discussion and forum and clarification so that the persons who are entitled to make the decisions can make them. Dr. Abrams, thank you for joining us today to discuss your book, Doctors on the Edge. Will your doctor break the rules for you? I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.